Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise God. What a tremendous presence of the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful that I am here and I can experience this for myself. I'm going to say it one more time. I'm thankful to feel the presence of the Lord and... I'm thankful that I have the privilege to respond. Amen. Nobody's going to look at me crooked if I lift my hands. No no one's going to think it odd if I just say hallelujah. I'm thankful that I have the privilege to respond and feel the presence of the Lord. I'm glad that I know him and the power of his might. Amen. I'm going to ask us to pray this evening over the word. We're going to revisit uh, where we were last Wednesday night. And uh, we're just going to ask the Lord to touch this word to our hearts this evening. And let's just ask, let's ask the Lord to minister his word to us. I, I, again, find myself repeating myself, but I don't want to just get an intellectual knowledge of this. It's, we need it in our heart, that's true. We need it in our mind, that's true. But we need a great balance in that. I want to have it in my head, but I want to have it in my heart as well. And vice versa. Lord, I thank you for the privilege to be here. Thank you for your word. It is certainly the centerpiece of our lives. And I ask you tonight, God, to let the power of the Holy Ghost be our strength. I pray, God, for the spirit of revelation to touch my mind and touch every mind in this house tonight. Not just my mind to speak, but help my mind, Lord, to comprehend as well. Every heart and mind in this house to comprehend your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And you may be seated in the fear of the Lord. Tonight, we're going to visit, again, revisit the subject of tongues and the role that it plays in the New Testament church. uh, I'm going to need to kind of hurry if I am to get finished with this tonight. But uh, so I'll try to find a balance here between trying to move along and not leave anybody behind. How's that? The operation of tongues has two very distinct categories or maybe a better word for that would be purposes in the church and that is the initial evidence of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I think it's important to underline certainly in the, in the very liberal hour that we live in it's very important at least in my heart to underline the, the fact that that evidence or those tongues are going to be as the spirit of the Lord gives the utterance. And uh, this is not something that's taught by man. Uh, this is not something that we just try to grasp a little bit of knowledge ourselves on that and learn some phrase or whatever. You can't rub the Holy Ghost in anybody. You can't hallelujah, 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 hallelujah it in anybody. We just need to let the Spirit move, and, and that will do that. And then the second use or purpose of tongues in the New Testament church or for the church is uh, for the believer, I think, individually and then also for the church collectively through in through tongues and interpretation the gifts of the spirit 
by and large, and certainly including the gift of tongues and interpretation, is for the edification of the church or the lifting of the church. And uh, it is not for the perfecting of the church. As I mentioned last Wednesday night, because perfecting uh, is left solely in the hands of the fivefold ministry. And uh, that is where we read about the perfecting of the church. In 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, the Bible says, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification, to exhortation, and to comfort. And so the gifts of the Spirit uh, were not, not given to saints to set the church in order or to conduct business or to judge someone or uh, just simply get something off your chest. And uh, I say that because sadly that gift has been abused on many fronts. Um, the 12th verse of the 14th chapter says this, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. And so our goal should be that we can have a gift that would edify the church, that would build things up and not tear things down. And so I'm thankful to be a part of a church and, and I'm thankful to be a part of a, a congregation that has the mindset of lifting up and building up and not tearing down. And uh, that shouldn't only be practiced during... Uh, the, the corporate services, but I think just in our daily lives, I think we ought to lift one another up. It's impossible to go through life, and it's impossible to be a part of a body of Christ and a local church and not hear something negative about someone in the church. And so it, 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 that's impossible. That's going to happen. You're going to hear something negative about me. You're going to hear something negative about the person you're sitting beside, in front of, behind, and things of that nature. That's just part and parcel of life. But to the hearer, the hearer bears a responsibility of what you're going to do with that. And I think that we bear the responsibility to turn that conversation around, stop it, to let, let someone know. Uh, you don't have to do that self-righteously, but we can, we can send strong signals to people, even if we have to say so, that that's not our cup of tea. I'm not, I'm not here to tear down, we're here to lift up. And, uh, and uh, so you know what, that very person that someone is tearing down may be the, that that individual uh, that, that that person needs somewhere later down the road in their life. And so how, no matter how disposable you may feel someone is, that may be the very person that God wakes up in the middle of the night to intercede for you. And so we all have a place and a role in the kingdom of God. Um, and so Paul talks about uh, seeking gifts that would excel. And in this, I just want to briefly say this, touch on this because this is not really my subject, but I, I would say that, that prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting is key to opening spiritual gifts in our life. Prayer and fasting in the Word of God. And uh, so don't ever think that we're going to get to some point uh, that we never have to pray or never have to fast. I think that helps us to be sensitive to the Spirit of God and the will of God. Um, anything that violates peace or anything that, that violates decency is out of order. Anything. And so the, the Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not the author of confusion. We know that. But he is the author of peace 
in all churches of the saints. And so he is not a God that's where there is confusion, you're not going to find God. It's just that simple. And so anything that violates peace and something that violates decency is out of order. And, and uh, the 40th verse of 14, uh, chapter 14 says, let all things be done decently and in order. And I may say this again, but lest I leave it out, let me remind all of us that Paul, in talking to the Corinthian church, is not trying to talk them into speaking in tongues. He's not trying to talk them into this gift. This gift is already in operation. Paul is trying to bring order to this gift. And I, I, I want to briefly, again, um, touch on something that I mentioned last Wednesday night. I, I, I let, again, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid that I'm, I may have... Uh, said something wrong or at least being perceived wrong and no one has mentioned this to me I'm just talking about this myself that the scripture talks about uh, that the, the tongues ought to be in course or they ought to be in order and that they and and no more than three and uh, I had mentioned that perhaps three was just a principle and I went to the as far to say that uh, you know the enemy can speak in tongues as well and I don't think that we are to be uh, with a notepad and a pencil in our hand necessarily trying to count, but I, I also want to maybe just underline the fact that Paul did say three, and there is order in that, and so I wouldn't want to try to violate that, and I think that anything beyond that, we would certainly be talking about an extreme situation anyway, and if in that, in that setting, then I think we have to rely on whoever the man of God would be in that particular setting because the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And so if there's something that gets out of order, I think God will prompt someone that, that he has on the scene that's in charge to take care of that. Is that fair enough? Amen. And so we understand that when unknown tongues are interpreted, that the interpretation of that is, is, is should be and is something that edifies the church. But then, the, then that brings to to uh, the table perhaps a question about the edification of an individual. Uh, I think Paul deals with this, both of these subjects, because we certainly comprehend or embrace perhaps um, a prayer language, a personal form of an unknown tongue that's, that's used in prayer. Corinthians 14 and 14, Paul said, For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with understanding also. This is what Paul was referring to, I think, in the book of Romans. If you look at Romans 8 and 26 and 27, the scripture says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the Spirit itself make us intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the mind, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The word groan that Paul uses in this scripture is a sigh or a groan or a, a murmur or a prayer inaudibly. There have been times, if you, I, I'm, I'm sure that I'm speaking to a broad audience here tonight as far as not only age spiritually and experience spiritually, but there are times in prayer 
that we simply do not have the words. We don't know what to say. And uh, it's not, not just because we're faced with a perplexing situation that we don't have an answer for. But that certainly would fit into that category. But there are also times that we have felt prompted of the Lord to pray. But I didn't have a name or a face. And as I went into prayer, then God, I, I have been a part of this. I, I'm a part of what Paul is, is speaking about here uh, with, with intercession, maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There is... There's just something in our spirit that we can't seem to put it. We don't have a vocab our vocabulary broad enough to categorize what we are feeling. And I believe that God understands, the spirit understands what we are trying to say. Amen. With groanings which cannot be uttered. And he searcheth the hearts. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for saints according to the will of God. If we go back to verse number 16, um, the Bible says, Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing that he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. And then Paul said, I thank my God, I speak with tongues more than ye all. Notice that the tongue... It's for giving thanks to God or, or praising God. And so we have to release that in our lives in order for that to happen. You can prohibit yourself from speaking in tongues because you have your own will. We have, unfortunately, the ability to quench the Spirit. And so that's why First Thessalonians 5 and 19 admonishes us. Paul said, quench not. The Spirit. Don't, don't stop what God is trying to not only give birth to in a church or give birth to something in our own spirit. And so when we quench, that word just simply means to refuse to allow the Spirit to flow. It's just like kinking a water hose. Just, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. It's not that there's an absence of water, and it's not that there's an absence of pressure. It's just that we have chosen... To, to restrict the, the line through which it flows. And so the issue now becomes control. C control. So speaking in tongues is merely God's way of taking control for his glory, the most unruly and the most uncontrollable member of our body. James 3 and 8 says, after mentioning several things that can be ruled and things that can be guided and things that can be steered, things that can be tamed. James says, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an un unruly evil full of deadly poison. However, we must choose to be controlled by the Spirit, and that's what I'm, I'm driving at about not quenching the Spirit. And so we have to choose to be controlled by the Spirit. I think we have to choose to be controlled by the Word. I, I choose what I'm going to do with the word of God in my life. And so when the word either comes to me from the written word or the preached word, then I have to make a choice. What, I'm, what am I going to do with this? Because I can, I can choose to ignore that. That doesn't mean I'm going to get by with it, but I can choose to ignore that. But when I do, I'm prohibiting growth in my own life. And again, this scripture I mentioned a moment ago, 1432, the Bible says, and the spirits of the prophet are subject to, 
to the prophets. And so uh, I, I believe that there's always going to be the spirit of submission or there should always be the spirit of submission when, when, uh, when we are in, in, in the house of the Lord. Amen. I believe there, there should be the spirit of submission. We should never forget that everyone re- that uh, received the Holy Ghost uh, that we have record of in the Word of God, everyone uh, received the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues as the initial evidence of that experience. Speaking in the Spirit in all reality is not a new concept. It is just a new application for the New Testament. And so I just, let me read one scripture to, to kind of express what I'm speaking of here. In Samuel, first, 2 Samuel 23 and 2, the Bible says, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. I'm not trying to make more of that uh, than there is or take that out of context, but speaking in the Spirit is not a new concept. This is not, this is not some wildfire that was born on the day of Pentecost. God has always moved upon the heart of men and, uh, and anointed their minds and their mouth to speak the word. And uh, the book of Acts, coming into the New Testament church, uh, many of these scriptures you're familiar with, but let's just touch them uh, in passing. The Bible says in Acts 2 and 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts 8 and 15, the Bible says, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they hand, their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. In um, Acts 8 and 18 and 19, Speaking of Simon, when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. I'll come back to this in just a moment. But in verse number 19, he said, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts 10 to the Gentiles, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, And they of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed, were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? They have received the same thing that we have. And this was a first because up to now, up to now the Jews were the only ones that had experienced this. And now to the, to the unclean, uh, so to speak, Gentile world, the Holy Ghost had fallen. And so Peter is asking a question, and it's a question that needed an answer. Who can forbid? Can you not see that they have received the same experience that we have received? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they to him uh, to tarry certain days. In Acts 19, we have the account of the disciples of John. When they heard this, verse 5 and 6, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, 9, and 10, the, the Bible says, Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. 
For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. And so what we have is the gift in operation of the, the gifts of the Spirit that are in operation of the church today are here because we are on this earth and not with the Lord. But when that, when he has come, there will be no need. There will be no need for there to be tongues and interpretation because we will be with him. Amen. So we have read where the apostles um, plus the mother of Jesus plus 107 others received the Holy Ghost in that initial outpouring in, on the day of Pentecost when the 120 received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Acts, the 8th chapter, we read how Philip preached to the Samaritans. And, um, but it was not until Peter came that they received the Holy Ghost. Philip preached to them, but they received the Holy Ghost when Peter was there. Acts 8, 14 through 24, I'm not going to read all of that, but Peter unlocks the door for the Samaritans uh, to enter the kingdom of God. The scripture does not say that they spoke with other tongues, but it implies that something tangible happened. And, and here's why I'm saying that, because Simon wanted to buy this gift. And so if something happened, something had to happen, if they were just sitting there silent and unmoved, is that all right? When Peter laid his hands upon them, they received the Holy Ghost. If, if they were just sitting there silent and unmoved as Peter laid his hands on them, then what would have prompted Simon to say, I want that power. I want, I want that power. There must have been some evidence. And so we have a precedent that is set in the New Testament church of people receiving the Holy Ghost and speaking with other tongues. And so we have no reason to believe that this would be an exception. And Simon's interest in this certainly uh, seems to validate that as well. In Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, people, Peter then is opening the door to the Gentile world. You see, Cornelius was a good man. And I, I want you to, to, to re receive this in the spirit that I'm saying this in tonight, not just to this audience that is sitting here, but to anyone who may hear this. Cornelius was a good man. He prayed and he fasted and he gave alms to the people. That's what the scripture says. He was a very devout man and he feared God with he and his entire house. This was not just Cornelius doing his own thing. The children were not saying, well, that's just dad being dad. This was the spirit of their home, the atmosphere of their very lives had been blessed. Most likely, Cornelius did more than the average church member today because the Bible talks about his prayer life, his fasting, his giving of alms, his faithfulness, but he still needed more. He still needed more. Now, I, I, I think my wife and I had a, an experience recently with no one associated with this church whatsoever. Uh, I want to just underline that that has probably brought this to the surface, at least in our lives and in conversation, uh, because my wife, in speaking to uh, a close family member uh, not long ago, as they began to talk about, you know, they are a good person. They don't do anybody wrong, and, and on and on and on. And my wife said, I cannot just sit idly by and allow you to just think because you're a good person 
that everything is going to be all right. And she was speaking very carefully. I hope this is okay. She was speaking very carefully, very cautiously, and not rude and obnoxious, but she said, I have an obligation to tell you. There's some scripture here. There's some things that every man and woman must do. And so we can't just say, well, I pay my taxes and I pay my bills and I'm a good neighbor. I, I loan out eggs and sugar when it's requested. <laughs> And so therefore, everything ought to be all right. Cornelius was not only a good man, but I think Scripture validates that Cornelius was a spiritual man, a, a spiritually good man, as well as being a good man, but he still needed more. And so one day his prayers brought an angel down to give him a message to send for Simon Peter, and he said, and he will tell you what you need to do. Now the Scripture says that time and chance happeneth to all. And I am a, a firm believer that God is going to give everybody a chance. Everybody a chance. And so he said, here is proof of this. Here's a good man that opened himself to the spirit world and an angel came down and an angel didn't circumvent God's word because God chose to work through mankind, through flesh and blood. And so the angel, the angel could have told him what to do. But the angel said, you, you, need, you need to listen to this. You need to send for Simon Peter. And he will tell you what you ought to do. And there's a, I, I understand that sometimes this, this comment or this attitude or feeling is born out of abuse. But there's a lot of people today that have the attitude, no one's going to tell me what to do. Well, when you embrace that mindset, you have set yourself outside of the realm where God has chosen to operate. And, and I, I, I think you understand that, and I am certainly not validating or condoning abuse. But most people would think that Cornelius was doing just fine like he was. But that's not what God thought. And so God thought enough of him, he said, I'm going to send somebody your way. You know, I, I, in Ezekiel 2 and 3, I mentioned this, I've mentioned this many times through the, through the years and if God will continue, I don't, I'm not apologizing because if God will continue to give me breath, I'll keep mentioning it. Because if you read in Ezekiel 2 and 3, the Lord said to Ezekiel that I'm sending you to a stiff neck and a hard-headed people that may or may not receive you. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm telling you that you can read it for yourself and it's there in the second chapter and the third chapter and he said, they will either receive you or they will not receive you. But he said, all of this that they might know, there was a prophet in their midst. And so I believe, Brother Rayleigh, that God has a witness in the lives of people. And if they're, they're either going to receive it or not receive it. And I'm going to tell you something. I've given one too many Bible studies where people stood at an intersection of revelation when God began to show them the way and not me, I want you to understand something, not the apostolic way. God just began to show them the truth of the word of God and they had a decision to make. I've, I've got now to decide what am I going to do with what God has revealed to me. I, can't, I'm, I don't try to convince anybody of anything. I just want to show you what's in the word of God. If I can talk you into something, somebody else that talks slicker than me can talk you out of it. Why did Paul say, if any man or an angel comes with another message, let them be accursed. Where did Paul get that kind of 
resolve. He got that because what he received wasn't just handed to him from his grandmother or his grandfather, or his mother, or his father. And I don't say that condescendingly because I, I, I have grandparents and parents that I certainly respect, but Paul got this by revelation on the road to Damascus. And so he got an experience that no, when you see somebody with an experience is never at the mercy of somebody who only has an argument. And so I'm not gonna argue with somebody about whether or not tongues are real because I've experienced it. Amen, I know it's real because I've experienced it. I know healing is real because I've been healed. And so someone with an experience is not at the mercy of someone that only has an argument. And so God didn't think Cornelius was doing fine. That's why he sent an an angel. He saw how honest and sincere and that he wanted all of God that he could get. And I'm gonna tell you something. God is always drawn to hunger. They that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, God's gonna meet them at that intersection of hunger and thirst. And so someone that's hungry and thirsty, how many remember uh, the missionary? Oh, you're gonna have to help me here. Um, um, She was a Hindu goddess. Marshall, Bonnie Marshall, who was a college student who was a Hindu goddess in, in uh, her homeland who had come to New York, am I right? I think uh, to, she had come to the U.S., I believe it was New York, uh, to, to come to college, and she was so hungry. She knew nothing about God. She knew nothing about Jesus Christ. But in her apartment, she began to pray with a sincere heart and hunger, and the Lord revealed himself to her. Well, I'm just saying that to say this, that God is drawn to hunger. And it doesn't matter how saturated or how bathed you have been in some other experience. If we hunger and thirst after truth, God will meet us at that intersection. Amen. That angel said, you need to find Simon Peter. That's who you need. He has what you need to hear. And so I feel the Holy Ghost in this. Amen. While Peter was speaking to them, the Bible says, while Peter was just talking about this, the Holy Ghost fell on those that heard the word and they began to speak with their tongues and magnify the Lord. The reason Peter knew that they had received the Holy Ghost was because he heard them speak with tongues. Amen. As he himself had spoken on the day of Pentecost. In Acts 19 verses 1 through 6, the account of the Gentiles men, Gentile men at Ephesus who had only been baptized unto John they, had been, they were converts of John the Baptist. They were followers or disciples of John the Baptist, but they had never heard of the Holy Ghost. And so what did Paul command that they do first? He said, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then what happened? They spoke with tongues and prophesied when Paul laid his hands upon them. Now remember, these men have been baptized. They had repented, but Paul commanded that they be rebaptized in the name of Jesus. However, that still wasn't enough. They needed the Holy Ghost. And they needed evidence of that Holy Ghost. Now, Paul himself received the Holy Ghost in Acts 9. Uh, the account does not say that Paul spoke with tongues, but again, if we, con- if we continue to hold to the precedent of the New Testament church, and we also know that later, Paul, uh, I-, I can be assured, you can be assured that he did because in the 18th chapter, verse of, four- of the 14th chapter, he tells them that he spoke in tongues more than you all. And so it's important to note that in the 14th chapter, 1 Corinthians, as I mentioned, I think earlier, was written to the church that a church that had already received the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, all the epistles were written to the church. And so when Paul opens his letters to each epistle, he's not trying to tell them how to get saved. 
He's trying to tell them how to stay saved. So to the saints, that's how the epistles are open, to the saints, he begins to write. And so he is writing with instructions of what to do after the initial experience of receiving the Holy Ghost. So Paul is explaining to them the operation of the gifts in the church in the, when, it, when we're reading this in Corinthians. He's not referring here in Corinthians, he's not referring to the initial evidence with speaking with other tongues. Amen. Although we believe, we believe that. Speaking with tongues is, is the initial evidence. And so I, I'm not trying to just hammer this to death, but I, I just want us to have an understanding of it. Why did God choose speaking with other tongues as the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost? Why, why did God say, I want this as a physical sign? Well, the, answer that, the only answer that I could give you for that is this, that God is sovereign. And he chooses what he wants without consulting another. It's just what he said. Amen. And so by the same token, we could ask, why did God choose the blood as the element of atonement? I don't know. But he said the blood. And so this is what we know is right and what we know is real. That he said that if you want to be saved, amen, I'm talking about now back in the Old Testament, he said if you want to be redeemed out of this, that is to come, you better apply the blood to each side of the door and over the door. Why was it blood? Why, 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 why? God is sovereign. The only thing that if we can stand to say and argue, why do you want the blood? Why do you want the blood? Why do you want the blood? I don't think water would have done. I don't think honey would have done. I, I, don't, I, I don't think that vinegar would have done. He said, I want the blood. And so the blood was what was required. Tongues are an external evidence of something that has taken place in the heart. Tongues, I realize, in the world that we're living in today has been grossly abused. Grossly abused. And if we're not careful, we'll, because things have been abused, we'll shy away from even talking about it. And that's why I'm talking about it tonight. Because it is the initial evidence that something has taken place in the heart of an individual but it is not just something to do to show and shine. Every aspect of God's work in our human heart, I believe, is manifested on the outside in some form or fashion. What God is doing on the inside is going to manifest itself on the outside. Now, I, I, I don't mean this crass. I don't mean to sound like a smart aleck, but I will just say this with, with great courage and confidence I've watched one too many people that knew nothing about living for God that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and came to me and others and said you know I don't know I don't know what's going on but but uh, I just don't feel right doing this anymore I don't feel right doing that anymore I don't feel right talking like this or acting this way before anyone had a chance to have a Bible study or some, uh, some discipleship course or anything, the Spirit of the Lord, what's going on on the inside begins to manifest itself on the outside. And I, I know that we all, we can't circumvent uh, the value of teaching in our life, but I'm just telling you that the Spirit of the Lord, what's going on on the inside will manifest itself on the outside. And so a marvelous experience, uh, I believe, such as the Holy Ghost demands a marvelous manifestation. There will be something on the outside. It's only natural to expect differences in temperament and personality to cause some different reactions, of course, to the gift of the Spirit. I say this because 
Some people are naturally shy. Some people are naturally timid. And, uh, and, and other people are, maybe they're far more emotional or they're more boisterous. And so as the Lord manifests itself in that vessel, it's going to be a little bit different as it manifests itself in, in, in another vessel. And so uh, when we're worshiping the Lord in our worship service, some may feel prompted to walk. Some may feel prompted to raise their hands. But I, let, me, let me speak to the walkers. Don't judge the non-walkers. And to the hand raisers, don't judge the non-hand raisers. Because everybody's a little bit different. They're just, they're just cut out of, a, out of a, a little bit different mold. But that doesn't make them anything less. Now I realize some people while worship is going on, they're just checked out. Completely. They're just waiting for the next chapter. Sure be glad when all these holiness folks settle down, let's get on with this. They're worried about how long the line's going to be in the restaurant. That's not the group I'm talking about. You just need to pray for them because they need to pray through. Because if you can be still when the presence of the Lord is in the house, something's wrong. Something needs to be moving. Even if it doesn't manifest itself like this or like this, something needs to be moving. Uh, amen. Amen. And uh, it's only natural to expect. Uh, so it's only natural to exper- expect that there's going to be different experiences. I uh, remember one time I had um, one of my second cousins, one of my first cousins' daughter, was at the campground, and and she's just just a very quiet and one of the probably the most practical individuals that you could ever meet. And so uh, she's down here in this youth camp atmosphere. It was after the service was over in the altar service, and she just continued to pray long after the service had been dismissed. And I, I just remember turning around. My wife was still praying with her and many others, and I just remember turning around and praying, and I said, Lord, you know you know her temperament, and she's not one of these that you're going you're gonna to rub it into her. You're not going to hallelujah it into her. And I just want you to give her an experience that is so unique for her that it is undeniable. And I, I'm not trying to, to take credit for this, but I'm just telling you what happened, that when I turned around, she, there's just something that broke through. And she began to speak with tongues probably almost an hour after that experience. She just stood there and began to just speak with other tongues. And so some are shy and timid, and God may have to deal with them a little bit different way. And, and some people, they're just, they're just so, lately of so near the edge, it's just no big deal. Amen. They're just going. They're just. They're just an emotional uh, individual, and and so because the spirit of the Lord causes exuberance, sometimes it may be a little bit easier for them to step in. The evidence, however, uh, of speaking with other tongues is a uniform sign that someone has received the Holy Ghost. That's why Peter was so positive of the genuineness of the Gentiles' experience. Now you need to understand that Simon Peter was swimming upriver by himself on this issue. Because there were people in the church that were pretty angry. <laughs> and, so, and so Simon needed something that he could hook his foot into and say, you need to settle down. And that that he hooked his hand across was the fact, didn't they speak in tongues like you spoke in tongues? And so that was what he got a hold of. It's a symbol of the Spirit's complete control of an individual. The tongue portrays the wild, untamable nature of a human. Not only is the tongue the last thing to yield to man's dominion, but the tongue is the last thing to yield to the spirit's dominion as well. If a man or a woman can control their tongue, 
they probably have the rest of themselves pretty well in check. Amen. Because if you know how to bite your tongue, or in some cases how to keep your foot on it, <laughs> some of you will get that on the way home. Whatever it takes, you probably are more apt to have the rest of your body uh, in, sub in submission as well. And so we, we have to understand that it's an accurate sign to the extent of which a believer is submitted to the power of the Spirit. And so if, if speaking in tongues are not of the Lord, then it, if speaking in tongues are of the Lord, then it, it must be of value. And so whatever value God placed upon it at the beginning holds true today. A lot of people follow three patterns, and I'm going to speed up here if I can. Uh, a lot of people hold three three basic patterns of, uh, of mindsets, at least dealing with the subject of the Holy Spirit and the subject of speaking in tongues. And so people, some people are the mindset, I don't understand it, so they just avoid it altogether. Some people are uh, more of a popular opinion to just ignore it. And then by that, we will not be held accountable if we don't learn anything about it. Well, that's not altogether true either. I, I like what Brother J.H. Osborne said recently in our men's conference. He said, we are accountable for what we have the opportunity to know. If we're only accountable for what we know, then the dumber we are, the better off we'll be. But that's not the case. People have gone off, uh, the third mindset is because people have gone off into fanaticism with the Holy Spirit, it's dangerous and leave it alone. But I would say just because people have abused it is no reason to invalidate it. Amen. You, you can be in one of these three groups or you can just dig down and say, God, I want it. If it is for me, I want that. Some say if speaking with other tongues is for us today, then why don't we see tongues of fire uh, and a rushing mighty wind accompany this experience like it did in Acts chapter 2. And so if, if, if it happened for them then, why doesn't it happen that way now? Well, in the 19th chapter of the book of Exodus tells us exactly what happened when God gave the law. When God gave the law, Mount Sinai was filled with a thick cloud. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was smoke upon the mountain that ascended smoke as a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. That's what the scripture talks about. Happened when God gave the law. Amen. A majestic display of the divine power of God at the initial giving of the law. However... This never occurred ever again, even though the law was read from thousands of times. That's what happened at the initial giving of the law. This is what happened at the initial giving and outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Many try to minimize the importance of receiving the Holy Ghost, and therefore they say that they know people that, you know, I'm back to now the subject sort of of Cornelius that lived a good, godly, and righteous life, yet they never spoke with tongues. So why didn't God give the Holy Ghost to them if it is for us today? Well, I'm, you know, I'm not here to try to open such a big can of words we can't get the lid back on it. I will say this, that we're not the judges and we don't know all the answers. We also realize that uh, we do not know what has been revealed in the life of a person in their, at some point in their life or what may be revealed in their life. I have met people that I thought knew nothing about the Lord. I've, I've met people recently that I thought knew nothing about the Lord. And yet, way later on, I met other family members that began to talk about their connections to church. And so you're connecting the dots, and I'm just sitting there going, wow, they know. They know. And I would have never dreamed 
that they had parents or they had grandparents that perhaps had, had received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Got a little bit, a little bit quiet there. It's all right. We must be born again. The Bible says that, that they spoke with other tongues in the early church. Ultimately, here, here is what I will leave you with along this line, and then we'll move on. We cannot judge the Bible by men. We just must judge men by the Bible. Amen. So we can't say, well, what about this good person over here or this good person over there? Or what about my grandmother? Or what about my father? Or what, you know, on and on and on. These questions are questions that I'm not trying to uh, take away the legitimacy of the question. But what I'm trying to say is that many times I've watched people that, that have received the revelation of the power and the necessity of the Holy Ghost that have backed away just because some family member in their life didn't have this experience. And so they allowed, they judged the Bible by man and not man by the Bible. And so it is for us today, and, and so I, I'm gonna, here's, here's the bottom line. I'm not gonna have to stand in my grandmother's shoes on eternity, on the day of judgment. And you're not gonna have to stand in anybody's shoes but yours. And so, as for me and my house, I can't help what another generation did or what somebody else decided to do. I can tell you what I'm going to do. Amen. Does that, does that make sense? And so gifts are given to the church and uh, there's a lot of confusion about speaking other tongues as a witness or a sign of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the gift of tongues, two different things that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians. Me, many people will tell you that the gift of the Holy Ghost is not for everyone and many times they have uh, varying opinions on the matter. It is just for a few. Some people feel like that the Holy Ghost is just for a few. Others feel like that the Holy Ghost is really not necessary. You can get it, but it's not necessary. And uh, many times they get their basis of that theory from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthian church where he said in uh, chapter 19, he said, yet in the church, I, would, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. And so many times people just kind of pull this one scripture out and say, you know, it's not necessary because nobody can even understand it anyway. But then that's not what Paul was saying. I think Paul was being very practical in the approach, and I said this last Wednesday night, that if I just got up here and spoke in an unknown language, you would get nothing out of it. And so Paul was just being practical. I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue because you can't just live your whole life speaking in an unknown tongue and, and ever teach anybody else the way. What, they were, what people are failing to understand is that Paul was writing to a group of people that had already been born again. He, they had already been born again. These people already received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. This letter was written to them to help regulate or control or to bring balance to the gifts of the Spirit. Remember, the gifts of, the, of tongues is only one of nine gifts. And so Paul was just bringing control. He was trying to, to, to settle the chaos that apparently was in the Corinthian church. The reason uh, there are a few churches today who have spiritual gifts in operation in their service is this. It's because there are very few churches who have received the Holy Ghost. And, uh, people, there are few people in churches, I'm using that term in the broadest sense, that have received the Holy Ghost and spoken with tongues. 
And so if somebody doesn't have the Holy Ghost, it's pretty apparent you can't operate in the gifts of the Holy Ghost. It would be impossible to have the gift of tongues, for example, if you have never spoken in tongues. And so neither could you have the gift of interpretation of tongues if no one could speak in tongues. And so it, there, it all has to be an operation in the church in order for the church to be edified for that. And so if you'll notice, it's most always people that have never spoken in tongues themselves who criticize others that do. I, I, I have debated whether or not to even mention this, but, um, but I, I will just insert this just for the, the sake of perhaps whatever. But I have, I have met many, many ministers in even in my tenure of being here as a pastor, that pastor churches that are not spirit-filled churches that have pulled me off to the side and said, I know speaking in tongues is real because I've done it. Yet they could never do that or even confess that before the congregations they pastor or they would lose their job. I'm being as honest as I have ever been to say, I, and, and they would tell me, many of them with tears in their eyes, I know this is real. I have experienced it myself. And so someone, many times, the greatest critics are those who have, who have never uh, spoken in tongues. I, I, and so I, again, say someone with an experience is never at the mercy of someone uh, that only has an argument. Paul said, forbid not speak with tongues. And in the 18th verse, he said, I thank my God I speak tongues more than you all. And so Paul was certainly not speaking against that. Paul's not saying that tongues are unnecessary. He's only telling them how to properly use it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm going to tell you that, that I'm not the only one, but I have been in churches where it was abused. I've been in services where it was abused, where it was just utter chaos. And, and that's a very shameful thing, but I, I'm not going to to throw it away just because someone inappropriately used that. And so he's just telling them how to use it. He is saying that if, if there's no one there to interpret the message, then after those seasons or those courses, then just keep quiet. The church shouldn't be, uh, should not be instructed, or the church could not be instructed or uplifted if there had not been a gift of tongues. But it's the gift that is coupled with the gift of interpretation. They must go hand in hand for there to be a fulfillment of that, or a full circle of that. And so saints of God are going to be strengthened and blessed when the Lord is glorified. Can you hang in there for a few more minutes? I'm almost to those two magic words. I am so close to it you cannot even imagine. You want to know how close? I'm not telling you. The saints of God are going to be strengthened. I saw some of you kind of lean in, slide up to the edge of your seat. You was about to hear something. The church at Corinth was not the only church that had the gift of the Spirit. Acts 21 and 9 tells us that Philip the evangelist had four daughters that prophesied. Abigus was a prophet. Paul said in Acts 20 and 23 that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. The Holy Ghost witnesses in every city. And so this is not something just for us. This is not something exclusive to us. This is not just something for you and your family, us four and no more. The Lord is saying whosoever will, let them come and drink of the waters of life freely. And I, I will just on a sidebar tell you this, that I, we're seeing this happen. As a matter of fact, right here in, in our own state, some friends that we have, we're seeing that, that God is given this revelation to entire congregations of, of ordinarily of another faith. 
and God is converting entire churches. And so I believe with all of my heart, and I, I've, always, I've always held this true in my heart, and I have, have lived long enough, thankfully, to even see the beginning of some of this happen, that the end time revival that, has, that I believe is relevant for the church today is not something that's just gonna take place in the church or the churches that are currently in existence. I think they're gonna be a part of that, but I believe God's not just gonna fill men with the Holy Ghost or fill women with the Holy Ghost, but I believe God's gonna shine the light of revelation on entire congregations. And it's happening, it's happening right now. As a matter of fact, many of you know Brother Joe Campatella. As we speak, Brother Joe Campatella is involved in a great revival that's happening in the central part of our state in a church that otherwise wouldn't really even believe in the Holy Ghost. But it's undeniably taking place. The pastors receive the Holy Ghost and, and has been baptized in Jesus' name. And consequently, many members of their congregation have received the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name. And that's just one, one illustration. There are many that that's taking place in. Amen. And so the Spirit is witnessing in every city. But do you know what? There's always been people that wouldn't receive it. And Jesus knew that before he even commissioned his disciples. Now I want you to think about this. I know you know this, I know you know this scripture, but I want you to think about this with me. The scripture says that when you go to a city, and if they will not receive you, then he said just shake the dust of that city off and just keep marching on. He said, I know everybody's not gonna get, I know everybody's not gonna buy into this, but don't you stop. If they won't do it, you just wipe the dust off your feet and you keep going, you keep going. You know, I know I said I was almost closing. Can I tell you a real cool story? It's sad, but I'll tell you a neat story. There's a city in our state that for many decades, it seems like the, the, the a, a wonderful city to have a church in. And many people have gone there and failed. And my pastor, Brother Billy Tumman, has told me countless times, countless times, he said, you know, I have, he would quote that scripture, and he said, I have often wondered if somewhere in the history of that city, if they weren't given an opportunity and they denied that. Now, he had that conversation with me way more than two or three times. And one time, many years after that, he was talking to one of his elders, a man that is, has been dead now for many, many years. And as they began to talk, he, the, this elder asked my pastor, he said, he said, what about, and he named the city. He said, has there ever been a church there? And Brother Thomas said, no, sir. There, he said, there's been many, many attempts, but there has never been anyone that could go there and stay. And he told him, he said, when I was a young man and a, a young married man, just a few children at the time, he said, we went to that city and tried to start a church and he said, they ran him out of town, literally. And he said, we left in the night and he said, when we got to the city limit sign, I pulled the car over and I stood, you can believe this or not. And he said, I stood before the city limit sign and he said, I dusted my clothes. Amen. That, that's, that, that's shocking to me. But you see, Jesus said, if they don't receive it, you just keep marching. Amen. You just keep marching on. Now, I, I'm going to tell you, it's a dangerous thing to say, ah, I'm not interested. That's a dangerous thing because you don't know, quench not the Spirit, because you don't know when you 
kink that line, you don't know how many generations you're going to affect by your decision. Amen. Ooh, I feel the Holy Ghost. My Lord, let's stand. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. If our musicians will make their way, stay with me now. Amen. How would the Holy Ghost witness if it were not through the Spirit? If it were not through the gift of the Spirit? We need tongues and interpretation. We need prophecy. I know all this stuff has been abused and and, and, and so we shy away from it, but I'm going to tell you, we're doing ourselves an injustice when we do not allow this to be born in our lives. We know that Paul and Peter had gifts of healing and miracles because of the mighty works done by them. I've said this to someone recently in our church, and this is probably as good a time as any just to make this comment. And this is a pastoral instruction, and so I want you to clear your head and listen intently. It seems to be kind of a, a, a little, um, I'm not sure what word I'm looking for here, but just kind of a, uh, it just seems that we're hearing this more and more often, even among our ranks. I'm not saying this critically, but I'm just saying it instructionally. I have been in meetings where, you know, kind of in the, in the height of the moment, somebody would just say leading the service, turn to somebody with, you and prophesy to them. Whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now I realize I'm going to have to give an account to God for what I'm about to tell you. So I say with great fear before the Lord, I disagree. 100%. Because prophecy can be instructional. And everybody's not a prophet. Furthermore, everybody that thinks they're a prophet's not a prophet. Amen. I'll let that marinate just a moment too. And so, I, I am a probably a little bit overboard. But I'd, I'd rather be, I'm just on that for me, I'd rather be a little bit overboard and then underboard in this particular thing. I'm a little bit squirrely about who I want laying hands on me. And so when somebody says turn and prophesy to somebody standing beside you, that's like standing to me. Somebody standing to just say turn and do heart surgery on the neighbor standing beside you. I mean, if you're not a heart surgeon, I don't think I want you cutting on me. I'm not trying to be humorous, and I realize this is a little... Not really, but I understand the spirit of this. That's serious. That's serious. And so, don't do two things. Don't turn and prophesy to somebody. Unless you feel that you're a prophet. And then you may not, I'm certainly not suggesting that if somebody reaches over to lay hands on you, you put them in a headlock, you know. <laughs> don't hurt them. But you don't have to receive that. I've had people walk up to me and say things, you know, I'm, I'm, I really was almost a close while ago. I wasn't teasing. But I've had people walk up to me and say some pretty startling things. And I just looked at them and said, I don't receive that. I don't receive that because I didn't feel like it was done in the right 
spirit or the right spirit. And so because somebody just tried to hex or curse or pronounce some kind of hellfire and damnation on me, I'm not going to go home crying. I don't receive that. And so you don't have to say that because I don't think we should cause a disturbance. But if somebody laid their hands on me and told me, said, just go to Ethiopia. Well, I'm not going to come home and sell my house. <laughs> Is this too much for you on a Wednesday night? <laughs> There's going to be a witness of that somehow. And so we need to be very careful. So the answer is not to stop going off somewhere. The answer is not to bar everybody from our lives. The answer is to exercise wisdom and the spirit of discernment in our own lives. But by the same token, I need to share, I think I've shared this experience with you, but, but I've been standing beside someone when the spirit of prophecy struck them. And I was praying this happened this year, in March of this year, and I was in the state of Louisiana standing in the balcony of a church and I had been praying about something very specific and I was standing beside a man that I had only met the night before and we just shook hands then. And tongues, and tongues went forth and he interpreted those tongues. I was standing beside him and with his hands raised, he interpreted that message and when one failed swoop, he reached over with his right hand and put it on my chest and he said, Lord, this man has been praying about boom, boom, boom. I'm asking you to grant that to him. Wow is right. And so the gifts are real. They're real. And you're going to know that's real. There's going to be a validation of that. Amen. And um, in the Old Testament, God would move on certain men. They would prophesy things to come. Isaiah, on and on and on, major and minor prophets. And, and the Lord would reveal to men what was in the hearts of other men. For, for instance, Nathan God revealed to Nathan what was going on in the life of David. And Nathan walked up to him and just put his finger on the end of his nose. And you know what? That caused a big disturbance in the church today. Because we don't want anybody telling us what to do. But Nathan said, thou art the man. And, and, and he repented and was redeemed because of that. And so, with all of this said... Why would the Lord deny our generation these gifts and give them only to the early church? He wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. And so in a modern kitchen, you have an electric toaster, a mixer, an electric can opener, electric stove, a garbage disposal, a dishwasher, on and on and on. And every one of these appliances serve a specific purpose. But they are all operated by the same power. <laughs> and so when you want toast don't throw it in the dishwasher when you want toast get out the toaster and it will do its thing you won't have to coax it along just plug it into the same power source and so in the same, the same as the church when there is a need of discerning of the spirit or miracles or healing it can be supplied through the gifts of the spirit working in the church and so the purpose of the gifts, the only purpose for any of the nine gifts is to uplift Jesus Christ and, and it lift up the church. Never used to glorify men. <laughs> Amen. I, 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 I just think about Brother, Brother Barnes many, many years ago. He had the 
big banner up that said Barnes Healing Ministry and the Lord just convicted him and said, oh, it's your healing ministry. <laughs> and so he pulled down all those banners <laughs> because he realized it's not about Brother Barnes, this is about Brother the Lord. And they're given to strengthen, admonish, and warn. And I know I, I'm, I'm, I'm stretching my limits here with time, but, but, but it's, it's, it's for the church to not only edify the church, but it's to draw the church as believers. When God, I'm going to tell you something. I, I never get over watching somebody get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> it is as precious to me today as it has ever been. And I'll, I'll say this, if you ever doubt tongues as the initial evidence of the Holy Ghost, if you ever, if just doubt starts trying to move in your house, I'll tell you what to do. You need to go to a children's camp. You need to go where nobody's standing there telling them what, they're just children. And when those children who know no better than to have doubt and unbelief and their lives are not all clogged up with the things our lives are clogged up with and you watch those children, those innocent children lift their hands and tears start streaming down their face and they start speaking in tongues when nobody was telling them what to do. If that doesn't validate it for you, friend, I am out of answers. I am out of answers. But let me tell you one last thing about the gifts of the Spirit. They will always be in harmony with this. Always, always. And you know what? You know, sometimes just strange things happen. And you know, if, if something happens that's not right, the church is resilient. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. Something weird were to happen here in the next 17 minutes, come on back Sunday. I'll promise you there won't be a padlock on the door. We're going to be all right because it's God's church. Amen. You've been so kind. You, you've just been too kind to get up and walk out on me, and I thank you for it. <laughs> I thank you for it. Let's love the Lord. Can we do that? Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Oh, God, help us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. It's what I need. Yes, holiness, it's what you want from me. Hallelujah. Let's not rush through this moment. Let's just worship the Lord and let his spirit just settle into our heart. Holiness is what I need.
Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I love you today for your word. Your word is the sure foundation upon which we cannot just build our lives in a single fashion. But it is the foundation, God, upon which the ends of the world are framed and formed. And so we stand upon your word today, God. You're our hope and our strength. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you sports uh, folks have had to help me here, but there's one game that can go into overtime or even double overtime. Am I right? About any of them can do that? Okay. <laughs> I just need to leave sports illustrations alone because I just reveal my sheer ignorance. Just, just confirm it and validate it more every time. In that... <laughs> In NASCAR, there's the green, white, checkered. And, uh, you know, if a game goes into overtime or double overtime, people are just, they just got that much more bang for their buck. And so tonight, I'm not sure what overtime you feel like we're in here, but you just got more bang for your buck. May the Lord bless you. I love you with all of my heart. I mean that. We'll see you soon. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.